Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant, and I am delighted and honored that you are here today. Really do appreciate it. We got a great show for you today. This is, you know, those, those times where you see like Instagram images, or which, by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, come find me there. I want to hang out with you. You can catch me at Instagram.com/slash G Baldwin. Someone took Grant Baldwin, and I can't figure out who that joker is. But uh, you can find me at G Baldwin username on Instagram. But anyway, you know how like sometimes you see on Instagram or Facebook or Twitface or any of those places that those people that like are what are supposed to be like motivational, inspirational images of people working from the beach or people jet set in the world or traveling or like literally working from anywhere. You know those people? You know, like, okay, I'm talking with one of those people today. And this isn't someone who just like they went to Thailand for a week and then they came home and now they work in a little cubicle. No, no, no. Like this is someone literally bouncing the globe and creating their own sense of freedom, creating their own sense of what kind of lifestyle they want to have. That's what I think makes this such a great story. I think this is definitely someone you're like, how do you get into something like this? So great story, great guest. We're talking to my friend Natalie Sisson today of suitcaseentrepreneur.com. She has a great story about how she was kind of felt stuck in the corporate world, bounced around, tried a few different things there, actually got involved with a tech startup for a little bit and then eventually just decided, no, no, I just want to teach people about freedom. I want to teach people about living the kind of life that they want. Maybe for you, that's traveling the world. Uh, Maybe for you, it's like, no, no, I just want to be able to take a three-day weekend to hang out with my family more or I want to be able to uh, pick up my kids after school. Freedom looks different to everyone, but I think that's what makes this such a great interview and a great conversation is for you just figuring out, well, like, what does freedom look like? Like, just looking at a blank sheet of paper for life, like, what is it that you want your life to become? And so that's what uh, Natalie and I spent some time talking about today. So you're in for a treat. Also, as always, make sure that you download the bonus material. You can find that over at grantbaldwin.com slash Natalie Sisson, S-I-S-S-O-N. You can find that there or just click on the link here in your show notes on your app, mobile device, wherever you may be listening to this show. And you can download the additional few minutes where Natalie shares a great story of, well, great slash like scary. I'm going to just go ahead and float that out there, story of an experience she had in Vietnam. So I'm just going to float that out there, leave that hanging. And you can, again, download that over at grantbolden.com slash Natalie Sisson. So, all right, let's get right into it, my friends. Here is my chit-chat, my conversation with my friend, Natalie Sisson of suitcaseentrepreneur.com. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my international... Friend of mystery, Miss Natalie Sisson. Is that a good description? That's not too bad, huh? Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Yeah. She's just all over the place. She's kind of like Carmen Sandiego, really, now that I think about it. She's mysterious. You never know where she's going to be. Today, you're actually in your native land, aren't you? I am. I'm back in uh, Wellington, New Zealand to be with family. I hear it's gorgeous down there. And that's one of the places that anybody that's ever been there said it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Is that true? It is paradise, and I've been to 69 countries now, and I still vote New Zealand as my number one. I'm not even biased. I just, yeah. I mean, you're biased, but still, I, if you've been to 69 <laughs> countries. So, okay, well, like, first of all, let's start there, because if you've been to 69 countries, this isn't like you're some type of like weekend warrior or something, but like, what is your business, all right? Are you just traveling the world and telling us about it and making us jealous, or like, what exactly is it that you do? 
<laughs> yeah, I get people to pay to allow me to become in San Diego. <laughs> no, essentially what I say is I sell freedom. So I teach people how to build a business that supports their ideal lifestyle, not the other way around. So I think there's tons of people telling you how to make money online, you know, how to monetize yourself, how to build a business from your expertise. But I'm actually always talking about if you want to live this kind of lifestyle, you want to wake up in these places, you want to have this much time with your friends, your lover, your family, etc., then how do you build a business that you love that generates great revenue but doesn't necessarily need you in it 24 hours a day, slogging away that you actually can take with you if you just choose to go traveling and essentially gives you more time, money, and freedom. So all those inspirational like Instagram pictures that we like, those are actually the life you live then, correct? Yes. I've seen you liking those a lot lately. Yeah, it that's is. totally the way I live. And it's funny because I kind of became my brand. A while ago, I decided to live and breathe what I do. And then I realized that I've actually become this brand, which means as I want to slow down and settle a little and do more slow travel, I think people are still going to resonate with that because they'll think I'm less crazy still adventurous, but also that you can do this on any style and, and on your own terms. So I know lots of people in my community who I meet don't want to travel the world, but they just want to be able to like have a whole day off at home so they can spend time with their family. Yeah. And I think that's a great point that there's all types of extremes to it. You know, there's the travel the world and just jet set lifestyle that you're living and we're all just stuck in our normal lives. But then there's plenty of people who are like, I just want to be able to choose like to take my son or daughter to work, you know, or to school or to be able to enjoy a three day weekend, you know, just being able to feel like I'm in control. And I think, you know, a good example of that, even just recently, I know when we had talked recently, you were in Portugal and then had something come up and had to go down to New Zealand. And it's one thing if you're like, I'm trapped, I'm stuck, I just can't do that. But to feel like, no, I could totally do that. Like on a whim, I can decide to go literally halfway across the world just because you can, right? Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So like, would you say that you make a living today? Is it you sell freedom, but I, I don't know. I've never seen that on the shelves of Walmart or Target. So like, how do you actually do that? Shoot. You know what? It should be a product, shouldn't it? It should be. Um, it's because it's quite hard and it's often intangible. So I make money in about six or seven different ways. Like you, I also have a best-selling book. So that's a great lead in for a lot of people. The Suitcase Entrepreneur. I have a podcast. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did you know that I bought the book? Like years ago. Did I tell you that? Did you? No, you didn't. I have it on did you Kindle. Actually, did you read it? I read it. Like, honestly, it was, yeah, I did. It was one of the first, like, probably like online business books that I came across. I was like, who is this girl and what is she? And so, yeah, I vividly oh. remember. I'd have to look. I'll look it up. I'll look it up maybe and figure out when I bought it. And uh, so I can give you a timeline, though. You keep talking. I'm going to look it up. That is so crazy. Well, thank you so much for doing that. And you actually read it, you know, two actions that a lot of people don't manage to take. I think how many, come on, how many people buy Kindle books and never open them? myself included. So yeah, that book has definitely helped. Essentially what I've done for the longest time is 90% of what I've done is being free. So my podcast, my blog, I have over 700 blog posts up there with tons of free valuable information, videos on YouTube that always tied into basically teaching people around the areas that I love talking about. So that is your freedom mindset, the business aspect, and then of course the lifestyle aspect. And all of those free things that I provide, services, content, etc., just being everywhere has led then to the paying aspects, which are the book. And from the book came speaking, which was brilliant. I also have digital products and guides that I've launched over the years and then higher level paying programs and also through into workshops. And these days I run mastermind retreats around the world in exotic locations. So it goes right through from, you know, an entry level book at about 
seven or eight dollars through to several thousand dollars. And I really just take people on a journey through my suitcase entrepreneur business and the freedom plan to get what they want out of it. So people come in at all sorts of different stages and hopefully at the end of the day, they build a business that they love and more importantly, a lifestyle that they've always dreamed of. I dig it. August 10th, 2013. I got a receipt on Amazon here. Thank you so much. $11.98. Wow, you paid that much and I'm kidding. It's wow. so worth it. It's like 340 pages in there. It it's is. Like, it was wonderful. Nice. I remember it. I was like, all right, this is one of the first purchases I'm going to make here Yay. and we're going to figure this out. So circle of life. So, which in fact, by the time we're recording this, this is almost, let's see, a couple of weeks past two years to the day. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And you know what? You bought it three days after I released it and I just released the second edition last week. Did you? Mm-hmm. What are the odds? It's a two-year anniversary and birthday. We are yeah. learning so much about ourselves right now. <laughs> All right, so where does I this... I send you that, by the way. I'll you need you to. Update. You need to. All right, where does this entire drive for like freedom come from? Because, I mean, there's a lot of us that talk about it, but a lot of us that are just like, I mean, it sounds good, but like, what triggered it for you enough that you're going to actually like, no, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. That is a great question. It was, oh, this sounds like a, a long time ago in a far, far away world. It was 2008 of July. I was working at a big institution in London, England. I was in this incredible role. I was head of propositions development. I had a whole team behind me. I was doing this amazing work. Well, that's what it looked like on paper where I got to turn doctors into entrepreneurs by developing business programs to help them take advantage of the health market there. And it all looked great. I was getting paid really well. And instead I was turning up every day, nine to five in this kind of semi union style working association where I was blocked on every single front that I was trying to run pilots, that I was getting managed by senior management who were a bunch of, I'm sorry, 50 year old white males who didn't actually have any handle on reality anymore. And I was just (laughs) miserable. Like I love working. I love creating. I love making things happen, taking action, impacting people. And everything that I got brought in to do in this job was just not happening because of them, because of their fears, because they were stuck in the old ways, because of traditions, bureaucracy, office politics. And it like, literally made me miserable. And I woke up too many days in a row not wanting to go to work, which is so not like me. Granted, I had to jump also on the tube and do all that stuff. So I was just like, this is how did I end up here? This is not me. And so I quit like all non-crazy people do and ran off to Canada to play world championship ultimate frisbee and figure out how I could build my own business. There's a lot we're going to talk about there, but let's go back to when you're in London there. How long are you in the job before you decide to leave? A year. I'm so bad at sticking in jobs. I mean, I should have realized that ages ago I was meant to be an entrepreneur. A year. Were you doing some type of corporate thing before that? Or is that kind of your first real legit grown up gig? No, I had eight years in the corporate world. So this was like my best gig ever in terms of, as I said on paper, like the best pay ever, the most responsibility, the most autonomy, and it just sucked. But before that, I'd had great roles in brand management, marketing, event management, and some really cool international companies like safe gaming, fast-moving consumer goods, apprenticeships, education, you name it. I like pharmaceuticals. I am really, really good at talking myself into great jobs, getting them, doing my best in them, and then leaving to go traveling. (laughs) So, I mean, it sounds like you had, I mean, prior to the London gig, you had seven years, like, even though you're doing a variety of different things, like you're doing things you enjoy. So why, if you are at the London gig for a year or so, you're hating it, why don't you just find the next gig? Like what triggered it for you enough to go, no, 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 like I'm, I got to get completely out of this game. I can't keep going down the same path. 
It's a great question. You know, I'm really thankful for that job. I think partly it was London. I mean, as much as I love it as a city, it is a sort of an old boys club that's happening there and they're very rigorous about things and very restricted. So the reason I didn't go back into another job is if I was staying over there in Europe right now, I realized that was probably all I was going to get. I was going to get these jobs that were very bound, that had no movement within them. Whereas when I was working back in New Zealand, we're pretty well known for being able to do a variety of things. So if you're, for example, a product manager, you might be packing in the warehouse, but you'd be also going right through to creating the entire budget and launch plan for the next year. We have a lot of autonomy and scope in our roles generally and we kind of expected to do all of it and I knew over there that they're very much more keyhole positioned and you can't do that and I was like well that's just not for me and also I realized that maybe there was a trend to the fact that I kept getting these great jobs and then you know doing really well in them and then quitting and traveling and that maybe it was time that I did my own thing because clearly I wasn't very easy to manage and I had my own ideas about how things should be and I realized that I just had to step up and take the ball by the horns and do this for myself, put my money where my mouth was. How long were you in the gig in London, kind of the medical role there before you started getting the itch and you started dreading going to work? I'm pretty quick at taking action. I would say it was probably a month and a bit. So pretty quick you realize like, oh crap, what have we got ourselves into? So you're realizing, okay, I'm a month in, I realize this isn't for me. Where do you go from there? Because it's one thing to realize, crap, this sucks. Do you... How long does it take you to realize that, you know what, I can't find the next thing. I have to create the next thing. Gotcha. So I was probably in that role for about eight months before it started to just be a little less enjoyable. And then it was probably about a month and a half after that, that I was like, okay, that's it. I'm handing in my notice because they were pretty stunned, I think. So it was quicker once I made that decision. And then it was really easy to make that decision. So about the phone running in the background. People actually have phones in New Zealand. It's so Yeah, exciting. is that like a landline, like an actual real phone? <laughs> it's a real landline, so that's why I don't pick it up. Uh, you, know, you don't know um, who's going to be on the other end of that. <laughs> I only use iPhones and, you know, Skype and things. So, yeah, I think I'm a very, very quick decision maker. And also I just received a raise, just invested in a property in London. So this wasn't like a light decision, but I also just knew that I had to make it for myself. And I think it really helped that I'd made the New Zealand women's team to go and play in this championship. So I was like, okay, I've never been to Canada. This seems like a great choice. If you want to make massive change, you have to take massive action. So for me, going to this other continent to a place I'd never been to start afresh just seemed like the best thing that I could do. So at the time you're playing big league, big girl, ultimate frisbee champions of the world absolutely world champs it does actually exist it is a real sport for those people who think it's played on a beach with a dog because i see you playing all the time i'm just like (laughs) either she's got too much free time or she's actually pretty decent at this so okay so you were playing for was this like a london pro team or england or how did Uh, that work it was actually the new zealand women so i tried out for them while living in london and i'd actually gone back for some training and then turned up in vancouver to continue training and play with them in the world champs but they'd seen me play they'd seen me get really good in in the UK playing for really decent teams so they took a bit of a chance on me and it was really cool to represent my country as well. So bottom line was you had an opportunity to to go to Canada even though it was kind of this recreational thing did you kind of view that as that's my ticket out this is my ticket to try something new? Yeah that was my well I've got to do this first and then after that I'll figure out what the heck I'm doing with my life. (laughs) All right so all right so how long are you doing the ultimate frisbee stuff before it kind of runs out and you got to figure out what you're doing? Well, it was a two-week championship, and by the way, you pay for everything over there, so it was quite a big investment to get yourself there, all the uniforms, all the training, etc. So it was two weeks for the world championships, 
And then after that, everybody kind of left. And I was like, right, reality. So I remember going into Vancouver. I somehow met a friend who allowed me to stay in their apartment for close to two months in the most beautiful part of Vancouver. I totally lucked out there while I was trying to get myself on my feet because Vancouver is not a cheap city, as you probably know. Neither was London. And I don't know, I would definitely recommend if you're going to start a business, you shouldn't go to the most expensive city in the world because it burns through your cash very quickly. But luckily, I just threw myself into networking events. And there are a lot in Vancouver because they love them. And that's where I met my business partner over a giant cheese board and a glass of wine. And he said he's thinking of starting the startup. And it totally resonated with me. It was around sports, paying fees, managing clubs, fundraising, all the stuff that I knew. And I was like, well, I'm a homeless, unemployed bum. And I really enjoy marketing and brand management. And he's like, we should talk. So that was essentially how I found my business partner. And we started a tech company. It was very, very serendipitous. Very cool. All right. So what happened with the tech company? Where'd that go? That is actually the number one fundraising application on Facebook no way. To date. I can't, you know, credit myself for all of that, but I was there for the start of it. So for 18 months we hustled and we battled and we basically burned through any cash that we got through investors. So I helped find investors. I closed some investments, never done that in my life, figured out the financial model with my business partner, got customers on board, did the testing, worked with the developers to help, you know, shape the app and essentially was also the brains behind the branding and the marketing and trying to get customers with zero dollars using social media and every single tool that I could pull on from my marketing years. So it was a really fascinating 18 month journey for me. And that's when I started my blog because I was just fascinated with the whole thing. How do you build a startup? Why are there no women in tech here? We're all the CEOs. And so I started blogging about that through Women's World. And that's what I left for to develop because my business partner said, Natalie, done an amazing job here. I think we've got a great thing, but I think your heart is more in your blog that you've started. And I think you should make a go of it. And I was like, I agree. What a brilliant idea. And left and then just sat there and went, oh my God, I just left and all I've got is a blog. When he said that, was it immediately like, yes, okay, this is my permission slip to leave? Or you're kind of like, he said it, I'm shocked, but I know he's right. And I know that this is what I need to do. What was your reaction to what he said? I think it was more the second. I was like, oh my God, he thinks that I haven't been you know, together as business partners. He doesn't think I've been pulling my weight, but that wasn't the fact. He just actually recognized that I needed to do my own thing. And I think... It was just a really good wake-up call for me to go, you know, I recognize this as well. I just wasn't being honest with myself because I did truly love the team that we had and I did feel that I'd put my heart and soul into this business. Like We worked really long hours. We drank way too much coffee and I'd invested my own money in it. But at the end of the day, I was like, no, this blog, this thing that I have is totally, I'm enamored with it and I feel I can take it somewhere. What made you think you could take it somewhere? I mean, there's because there's a lot of people that start blogs that are like, you know, mm. I hope it goes somewhere, but I don't know. Like, what gave you the sense, just, like, no, this is going to work? You know, you've actually just rekindled it in me. I just finally found something that I totally loved. Like, all I wanted to do was write on that blog every day and build a community. I just was fascinated in learning how to do it better. It was I was talking on a topic that really resonated with me. Women entrepreneurs at the time, starting businesses, tech companies, etc. But more than that, just like how do you succeed in this world? Like what's the mindset you need? How do you build a successful business? How do you have a great life at the same time? It was more focused on the tech and building aspect. But I don't know, there was just something about it that was a complete combination of all my skills that I'd learned throughout university, throughout my entire life, throughout the corporate world, and even in the startup came together in this blog. And it was my channel. It was very cathartic. 
So you're kind of almost back to square one, but you've got something to work with. You've got the blog. How are you making money at the time? Are you living off of savings or how's that working? Uh, yeah, living off savings. I didn't make anything on that blog for six months. I had zero way of making money. I literally had nothing to sell. I was just busy learning how to blog, how to build a community, how to you know even start an email list. I think I was way too late on. And I think if anything, I was kind of in denial. I was just blogging away going, surely this will just happen. And I did start getting a great reputation around town. I started getting people talking to me and asking if I could help them with their social media and business. But it took me a long time before I actually monetized it. And that was through, one, getting a client who wanted me to help with their startup doing social media for their platform. It was kind of like a Groupon ripoff as mm-hmm. everybody was doing Groupon ripoffs at that time. Yep. And then two... I thought there's so many people asking me about how to use social media to grow your business that that's when I started six months later and I ran three social media boot camp workshops. That was like my aha moment. What were those and why did you decide to put them on? They were awesome. They were two-day workshops where I basically had this theme around working out and fitness because you know that I love it. And it was essentially the main social media profiles, how to use those sites to build your brand, get more attention, get more customers have more ongoing business. It was two days. I tapped into some government funding. So they were $1,500 for two days, full on as well. And I ran three and they were a sellout. And I went from broke to $15,000 in a month. Truly, like, why did this take so long to do this? So it was a bit of an eye-opener for me that people actually valued what I said, that I knew way more than I thought I did, and that people were hungry for this information. How did you find those people that, that signed up? I guess because I'd done a ton of networking around Vancouver and a lot of people knew me for the startup that I had and I'm just a very social person so I built up a really good community and I think they'd seen us doing really well with our startup and they'd kind of just been keeping an eye on me. So when I put it out there, I was really you know worried but I actually had a small community, a small email list, my blog plus my existing physical network and then word just spread. I mean there were only about 10 people that I could take in the workshop so it was pretty small but it was fantastic. Did you think whenever you first decided to do this that there's a chance that nobody's going to sign up? Or like, what were you thinking? Oh my God, that could was so happen? scary. Yeah, I did. And that's why I didn't pay for the venue. Like I said, can I tentatively book it in for this day? And then I put up a little landing page on Eventbrite and put a lot into the effort of that and then spread it out in the community. And I think I got one or two bookings and I was like, okay, this is epic. And if I get the funding, then this is more than paid for the venue. So then I could book the venue. And then it was just about spreading the word. And interestingly, People also spread it themselves. They're like, oh, look, Natalie's doing this thing and you can tap into this funding and we should come along. So it was very scary initially, I'm not going to lie. But you just have to trust in that and you have to promote and you have to back yourself and you have to put your all into what you're doing. You'll be surprised people, they notice that, as you know, Grant, and they just support it fully. So that you said 1,500 person to come to it? Exactly. I don't even charge it much for my workshops anymore. It's because the government funding was around 1500 So even okay. though they paid that, they were getting so much of it back. So I just okay. maximized the amount that I could pay. Gotcha. <laughs> That's what I was trying to figure out. I was like, charging 1500 for a workshop, like out of the gate for a brand new thing is a lot. So, all right. But so how did you know about the government funding thing? Because we had used it for our startup as well. Okay. And it was hot. And it only lasted like a month after that. So I was very lucky timing wise. Nice. So yeah. you do that. It takes out, you said you ran three of them? I did. I ran three and I already had people going, when's the next one? And more people wanting to sign up. But I decided, oh my goodness, I've got this money now. And also I could take this 
full day, two day workshop and put it in an online format and maybe launch it into an online program. So rather than what people would do and stick around and make the most of it and their new network and their new found fame, I decided to run off to Buenos Aires, Argentina and see if I could take this thing on the road. Where does this travel bug come from? It seems like you're just going from country to country, just <laughs> making your way around the globe. So where does that come from? To be fair, I was in Canada for two years full time. I mean, I did travel while I was there, but I was two years at the scope of your thirty plus existence. So you make it like, oh, I was there for a long time. Like, no, That's a long you're, time two me. years is not much in a country before you're moving on to the next one. So, like, where does that come from? It comes from this need for freedom, I think. I mean, luckily, my parents are both from Europe. They took my sister and I traveling from when I was like age two. But we might not have liked it, but I just fell in love with it. And I just feel there's, when you come from New Zealand, which is paradise, as I mentioned, you sometimes have to go away from it to appreciate it. It is on the top of the world, I like to call it. You said down under, but I like to say we're on the top of the world. But we're far away from a lot of things. And so I felt like there's just always this other world out there that I needed to explore and experience and all these cultures that I could learn from and just that I needed to expose myself to that. So that's where it comes from. Like I just learned so much from being in other countries and experiencing different things. It makes you really humble and it puts things in perspective all the time. You know, one thing that I like about your story, Natalie, is like how well you've defined freedom for yourself and how important that is for everyone to define it for themselves. So for you, it may be travel and it may be basing your life around where the next big ultimate Frisbee tournament is. And to someone else that may be like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like it doesn't matter. It may have zero nutritional value. For someone else, it may be like, I just want to be able to watch more Netflix and I want to be able to spend more time with my 19 cats or I want to hang out with my kids or I want to spend more time with my family or I want to be able to get up when I want and be done with work when I want. And so everyone has to be able to define freedom for themselves. And it seems like you've kind of over time kind of figured out what that looks like for you. Absolutely. And that's the point is that everybody has to figure that out for themselves. My version of freedom may not sound free at all to other people, but it's your version of freedom that you have to live for. And then you have to do your darndest to make sure it happens. Because once you have it in your life, it's like addictive and you don't want to let it go. And it makes your life just that much more amazing. So how do you find it? Like some people listening right now, like, oh, I know exactly what it is for me. And other people are like, I don't know what I enjoy. I don't know what freedom would mean to me or what it would even look like. So how do you go about finding that? Well, in my uh, freedom plan, the very first exercise I get people to do is this perfect day exercise. And I'm happy to kind of take you through it briefly here because so many people that I ask, I say, look, if you had a free day tomorrow, you could wake up anywhere in the world. Um, Don't worry about money, nothing like that. Just no holds barred. Where would you be? Where would you wake up? Who would you be spending your day with? How would you be spending your time? Like, what would your perfect day look like from start to finish? What does it smell like, look like, sound like, etc.? And the amount of people who go, oh, I'd, I don't know, I've never thought about, like, if I could just do anything tomorrow, what would I do? Which is pretty sad in itself, right? And I mm-hmm. was the same a few years ago. But you do get some people going, well, you know, I'd wake up, I'd actually have an oceanfront home. And so I'd wake up overlooking the ocean and I'd, I'd run down and I'd go for a walk on the beach with my partner and my dog. And oh, yeah, then we'd do some yoga and then I'd come back and there'd be like this personal chef there to make us some amazing breakfast. And then we'd sit down and discuss our day and we'd get straight into the work that we love and we'd do like three hours of work, client calls, whatever it may be, feel really rewarded. We'd stop for lunch and in the afternoon we'd go off sailing and I was like, yeah, now we're talking. So I think the thing is once you get really clear on what one perfect day would look like, then you can take that and go, okay, I'm nowhere near that right now, but could I, for example, get up and have a healthy breakfast with my partner? Could I once a week go and visit the local swimming pool so that I get my fix of being by the water? Could I 
you know, actually take a break halfway through the day and lie in a hammock and read that book guilt-free and just feel like I'm sitting on a tropical beach somewhere. And before you know it, more of those perfect moments become a reality in every day and you realize it's not as hard as you thought and that you can work towards having more and more of those moments in your life. But the first thing is getting clear on it, which people aren't. They don't give themselves time to daydream and really think about what they want. They just look at their circumstances and go, okay, this is what I've got right now. Why do you think it is nobody knows what they really want? Like, it just seems like we should know what we want out of life and what we want from in terms of freedom. So why is it that most of us don't have a clue or haven't thought about what that perfect day was or why that would be such a difficult exercise? Because I think we've forgotten how to dream. We've forgotten our childhood dreams. And that's why I love Randy Pausch's last lecture. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. Amazing on YouTube. Just incredible message. And he's like, you know, I forgot how to dream. I forgot all my childhood dreams. I forgot how to play. I forgot how to be a kid. I forgot to focus on the things that I always wanted to do. And we kind of grow up in this traditional society that hammers it out of you that, no, you have to have this job and the security and you have to be doing this and you have to have the mortgage and the car and the house. And then you have to buy more things and spend more money to get more stuff that you don't need to supposedly keep up with the Joneses. And it's, I don't know, it's easy to buy into because everybody else is doing it and it seems right at the time and there is some happiness that comes from it. But I would challenge most of those people who are at that stage would they actually be happier with very few things, very few possessions, and instead spending their money on experiences, hanging out with the right people, enjoying whatever they want to do with their day, and just totally living life? And I would suggest it's probably the latter if they gave themselves a chance. But I would say the reason we've stopped doing it is because we've been forced by society to adopt their rules. And second, we've forgotten how to be a kid and actually really imagine and wonder what we'd love out of life. So let's say I've got a decent idea of what freedom looks like for me and where it is that I want to go with my life. Again, whether that may mean to travel or that may mean to just stay at home. But like, what would be some of my next steps? If I know where I want to go, it's hard to, I can't just like quit my job on Friday and wake up on Monday like, okay, (laughs) let's chase freedom. I bought it from Natalie. So like, how do you actually begin to make that transition? Well, If I'm going to be really radical, you technically could quit your job and do that, depending on how many people you have in your life that you have to care for. Because the interesting thing about this is, if I especially if I take America and I'm not bagging on them because I have so many American friends and I love going to visit. But you guys do talk about, you know, the American dream and then you kind of get trapped in your own societal dreams of the white picket fans and the house and the mortgage and all this stuff rather than really experiencing life right now. And you could be living and working anywhere else in the world for probably a lot of the time, a lot cheaper. I'm talking about Asia, for example, South America. There's places where you can have an incredible quality of life, which are very, very affordable, where you can bring up an entire family, where schooling is great, where the food is amazing. You have access to beaches and all those sorts of things for way less than your actual normal living cost per month. So just putting it out there for somebody who listens to this and decides to take me up on it and they can email me if they do. But outside of that, I would suggest that you have a game plan. So some of the clients I've worked with, I was like, what's your you know, if you genuinely don't enjoy your job, because there are a lot of people who love it, if you genuinely don't enjoy it and you want more than that, then what's your end date? What's your quit date? And what do you need to do before then? And I would suggest that it is figuring out your sweet spot. So that intersection between what you're good at or great at, what you like doing or love doing and what people will pay you for. And so many people push back on me in this one, but there is something that you know and do well even outside of your work or outside of whatever it is that you're doing that people would actually pay you for. You just have to figure out what it is. And for you, you've figured it out, right? Like you've become an amazing speaker, but that's because you are excellent at building rapport and putting a message out there 
and you have the energy and the drive to do it and it really jazzes you and you love it and you've turned it into a whole business. But had I asked you that, I don't know, five, ten years ago, you would have been like, what, me speaking on stages all over the world and getting paid for it? Possibly not. But this is the thing. I So many people have skills and talents that I would actually pay for, but they just view them as things that they were inherently born with or that come naturally to them, so they don't view it as valuable. And so for people who are wanting to break out, I would suggest look at that, figure out a way that you can monetize your sweet spot straight off, and then go about building like a small side hustle or freelance career where you can prove that people will pay you money for that. That might be health coaching. That might be helping somebody design a website. It could be figuring out somebody's IT problems. It may be advising them on matchmaking, for example. There's tons of different things that people do naturally and don't ever think about getting paid for. I have a vet um, who's in my Freedom Plan program who left Iceland, left her veterinarian job, is running around in a camper van all over Europe, has a blog about her and her dog, Sunny, and is starting to create programs and books on different ways to basically look after your pets. Like, it's awesome from the road. I think it's really cool. Wow. No, I love it. We live in a day and age where a lot of that is even possible. I know you've probably learned a few things about living this kind of independent travel nomadic lifestyle. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Specifically, if you've got any ideas on tools and resources, tips, any of that stuff, if I'm listening and going like, okay, realistically, I guess I could quit my job in the next you know, couple of days or next few months or the very near foreseeable future. And maybe it's a good season of life to try this, to try starting a business and starting to travel and do a little bit more of that. So figuring out maybe what some of those next steps would be and maybe some tools that you'd recommend. So we're going to save that for the bonus round. And we're going to come back and talk about that in just a minute. But in the meantime, if people are interested in finding out more about you, where you're at, what you're up to... If people need to check out The Suitcase Entrepreneur, the book, which, listen, here's the moral of the story, kids, is if you buy the book, two years later, you actually get to talk to her. So that's the waiting period that you have to, you have, <laughs> it is. But uh, So tell us, where can we go to find out more about you? Suitcaseentrepreneur.com forward slash freedom. Isn't that a great place to start? Perfect. That would be a great place to start. Yeah. Awesome. We'll link up to that in the show notes, suitcaseentrepreneur.com slash freedom. And again, we'll be talking a little bit more in the uh, bonus round about some of those different uh, tools and tips of traveling. And then maybe tell you what, I'm going to float this out there. I'm going to let you ponder it. But maybe like, what's like, you've been to 69 countries. What's one of the crazier <laughs> travel experience that you've had that you're like, you won't believe this. You got one that comes to mind? Don't tell us yet. You just got one? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just tell me the country it happened in. Vietnam. Okay. Vienna. We're going to just leave that out there. That's going to be in the bonus round. So we will catch you over there. Sound good? Yes. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit chat with Natalie Sisson of suitcaseentrepreneur.com. Really good story. Really good. Just inspirational. I mean, she's been to 69 countries. That's crazy. And if you want to hear the crazy story of what happened in Vietnam, I said Vienna. And the whole as soon as she said that, I was like, I'm pretty sure Vienna is not a country, but you've been to these places, so you probably know more than I do. But she corrects me in the bonus material. It's pretty funny. And she tells this great story of something that happened in Vietnam, not in Vienna. So you can download that by clicking on the link here in your show notes right at the top of the page on your mobile device or app, or you can go right to grantbaldwin.com slash Natalie Sisson and click the link there and download that material. All right, my friends, I think that wraps up today's episode. Hey, as always, feel free to leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Also, as many of you know, I'm a speaker and a lot of people are interested in speaking, and so I get a lot of emails about that. So we put together a new email course if you haven't already checked out. It's a nine-email course, totally free, all about how to get started as a speaker. And so if you are interested in that, you can download that for free over at Booked and 
bookedandpaidtospeak.com. Again, that's bookedandpaidtospeak.com. So stop by, check that out. All right, my friends, we will catch you next time. Until then, you're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.